What's shaking, everybody? Welcome to this week's edition of the Orange Bloods Modcast. It's a modified version of the Modcast. Our uh, our savior, Jason Sukumel, is on vacation this week. In fact, I don't. He sent some pictures of where he and his wife are are going hiking in Utah. And you know, if you believe in prayer, maybe say a prayer for Sukumel today that he just doesn't die because. He's literally going hiking in a place that has a sign that lets people know that people die on these hikes all the time. Wouldn't be me. Uh, Cash, he, he said he said they're going to be hiking through a river and stuff and going through. Like I was like, dude, that sounds. He's like, he's like, man, the things I do for my wife. I said, man, that like well, that because, sounds that sounds fun to me. Then he shares the photo. Yeah, and then I my my palms started sweating. I was just I was like, no thanks, man. There's no there's no way. Well, it's no funny way. because Jason's kind of. Jason will play a little bit of basketball, but he's kind of a bum in general. Like he just wants to hang out. And when I was with him the day he met his wife and she was just really sporty hiker, biker, wakeboarder. Like she's kind of an action sports girl. And then she met Sukumel and you know, all that kind of changes. <laughs> so when they go on vacation, he has to cater to the needs that he represses over the course of the last 20 years or so. Look, Anwar Richardson, Alex Dunlap joining us here on the Modcast. Uh, do a solid. Like the video. Subscribe to the channel. Get notifications. Just bang, bang, bang. Hit all of those buttons. Um, or just the buttons that you need to push if you've already pushed several of them. We've got a brand new sponsor today. Yeah, boy. Uh, thanks to Dead Soxy for being a sponsor. We hope to do some stuff with them in the future. But for now, the new sponsor of the Orange Bloods Modcast, Mojo Insurance. It may sound boring, right? Oh, God, they've got an insurance who's in charge of the Modcast. Now, hey, these guys can help you spend less money on your insurance. Let them do all of the work. Uh, you can go to mojoinsurance.agency or give them a call at 210-722-5292. The cool thing is if you go to the website, they've got a custom form just for OB members or members or people watching this video where they will specifically give you an extra extra set of you know special care just for you if you let them know you're from orange bloods uh multiple orange blood staff members are already on board with using uh the mojo insurance so thanks guys for being a sponsor of the modcast fellas how we doing man everybody's taking some time off in july I think I just want to start off by on where I'll go to you first. You literally getting ready to drive to Big 12 Media Days this week as soon as we're done today. So where's your head at? Is it all Big 12 Media Days? Like we're we're creeping up on the the start of preseason camp just being a few weeks away. Like the dead season is almost over. It's over for me uh, at one o'clock. I mean, yeah. like that's, you know, there, there's, there's no, you know, like Jason can enjoy that, but I mean, I've got, you know, I've got Steve Sarkeesian <laughs> hit, hitting a podium, you know, tomorrow, you know, morning. And then I've got, you know, five players and I got breakout sessions. And so, you know, for me, it's the, the fun time playtime is over. It's, it is, you know, the last uh, big 12 media days for Texas of Longhorn football program. And so, uh, again, if the irony of Texas going on a Wednesday as opposed to a Thursday is still something that's not lost on me as far as just getting this whole thing over with. So, 
kind of for me, this kind of starts the beginning of the end of Texas and the Big 12. It's kind of the first of many last that Texas is going to have, you know, this upcoming season. But yeah, I'm, I'm Big 12 Media Days uh, starting tomorrow, SEC Media Days starting next week. You know, a little, little small little break and, uh, you know, can't get started on August the 3rd. So, I mean, we're, we're rocking and rolling at this point, for at least I am. Yeah, and the funny thing is this gets to be about the time that off-season workouts actually are close to coming to an end. You know, yeah. your key guys go to the Big 12 Media Days. They'll – They'll take a week or so break, like right before the start of camp, where it's like everybody goes home, relaxes, does whatever it is that they want to do that they won't be able to do uh, as soon as camp starts and it's suddenly football all the time. Like we're almost there. It. Uh, we were talking. We were literally just joking about uh, Charlie Strong baking the cake uh, and what wasn't baked uh, when he left in 2017. But like the bake, the cake for this season is mostly baked. We're almost at the time where we get to two a days, and it's on from there. And a season that I'm 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 starting to lean into the Kool Aid a little bit on War, and that I'm really excited to see this season. Yeah, I mean, there's been a an, a talent accumulation over the past couple of years. And I think this this year has to be the payoff for the growing pains of year one, right? That, where no one expected that to happen. Some improvements, obviously, in, in year two, but you know some things that you still would want, want to be differently. I think this is the year three payoff because it's it's not the typical like on your third year that's how you're kind of judged as a coach. It's like, well, yes, but there's also a lot that Steve Sarkeesian's been able to do and his staff as far as having talent. Um, and again, having one of the most, if not the most talented roster in the big 12. So yeah, I'm, you know, I'm excited to see what they're going to be able to do with the talent that they do have. Alex, welcome back from vacation. It's the first time we've seen you since you were able to sneak away a little bit. Now that you're refreshed, you've had a chance to unwind a little bit. You come back as it relates to Texas football. Where's your, where's your mind at these days? Well, I'm just, um, I was just kind of going back through. I'm about to get my column up over on the side. I kind of started with it yesterday, just looking through some of the stuff that happened. It wasn't quite like an on-war Arch Manning avalanche. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, quite, <laughs> it wasn't quite like that, man. But I do feel like I looked back and remember right before I left for vacation, um, I had a call on that Tuesday. That was the 27th. And then on Thursday, my column on the 29th was – you, know, you were like, no, 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 let's just use this in the war room, right? And then I had the, the couple things that we used last week while I was gone and stuff. So the last standalone column I wrote on Orange Bloods was on the 27th. And so since then, there have been, what, six six commitments? Three on offense, three on defense. So I'm, I'm going through the offensive guys today. I'm kind of writing them up, talking about my thoughts. I'll get the defensive guys up on Thursday. And I'll just say this, man. It, <laughs> Like this looks like a, like I said, it's not an arch, it's not an Arch Manning Hall like it was whenever Anwar was gone, man. But I do feel like I, I, I did the fans a, a great service by getting out of here and let and letting this happen. These are these are some good players, man. So are I, you yeah. also taking credit now? Like what's good for the goose 
is good for you. If, if Almore, Almore gets credit, can I get some credit for these? <laughs> for this? Come on, man. I, I, I feel, yeah, I mean, I feel, I feel good. I about all, I'm all chips in with you, Alex. Like, I, <laughs> get, like you, you, you got to understand, like, as like as sports fans and especially fantasy people, like you, you got all our superstitions of things that kind of work. And so, yeah, <laughs> feeling like, hey, that happened. Like, how, there's people who stand up, they sit in, you know, Alex. How many people like in fantasy, they have their like, I wear this thing this day. I stand in this corner. I eat this thing. Right. Yeah. I wear the same shirt every Sunday. <laughs> See? <laughs> See, Alex is his own Yeah, man. But, but yeah. And then, you know, just as far as, you know, coming into the season and stuff, I'm with Onwar. It's just starting to feel like, you know, we got a couple more weeks where we're going to have to, you know, you know, keep on squeezing what we what we can out of the turnip here. Just getting ready for, getting ready for, you know, getting getting ready for fall ball. But as Ketchum said, it's like it's starting to really feel. I mean, football's in the air. It's like we, today's the 11th. We only have now, so we literally it's exactly two weeks until NFL teams. The whole team is going to be reporting to training camps. That's all on the, on the 25th. The 21st rookies are coming in. So. As far as the NFL, we're 10 days out from things. Like, there's going to be stuff around the sports world starting to happen, starting to percolate. We're coming into the end of this deal. It always, it always feels good in this spot. And as we're going to talk about today, not to give away what the plot of the show is, Catch, I'm sure you're going to talk about it and introduce it well, but I think that you have some visual representations that show, um, you know, Texas, you know, things are coming – things look like they're coming together, man. I feel like it's been um, – as I'm coming back in, sort of refreshed with a set of sort of fresh eyes, looking not only at what's, hap what's happened in recruiting, but also as we look forward to what's happening this season, uh, there's some things that look like they're kind of coming together. And I'm like, I'm, catch I'm like Catch, man. I heard him say earlier something like he's starting to come around. To <laughs> I don't want to say because people say, well, every year you start coming around to buying into the Kool-Aid. And it's and true. Like, I, we're yeah. self-aware of that, I think. Yeah. But, but like – I always said never again. Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure that we'll, that we'll get on, get into all of it here on the podcast. So, some of this we talked about yesterday on the Monday overreaction show. It's a little bit of continuation. Uh, Alex, I don't know if you've seen the graphics. So I want to give you the full backstory to this conversation. Blake, if you can pull up the super blue chip graphics from yesterday, I just want Alex to see it for a second. I want to set the full context of, of what I want us to talk about. Alex, if you look over at the left-hand bar, the left-hand column, this is five stars, high four stars, and consensus elite transfers, which really make up like one or two per team. It's not a big deal. Uh, it's mostly five stars and high four stars. Texas was 10th a year ago with nine. They have climbed up to fifth in the country in super blue chips with 15 and Alabama, Georgia, A&M and Ohio state have all come back to them a little bit. They've drifted back. If you look over at the trending section on the right, that's in the last, this does not include 2024 commits. It's just guys that are on campus right now scheduled for August, Texas and USC, as you can see, are basically the only two schools in the country that are spiking up. But Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, A&M, Clemson, because of a combination of NFL losses and transfer portal stuff, their numbers are significantly down from where they were a year ago. 
For instance, A&M had 24 last year, which would rank above Georgia this year if they had the same roster. So you can take that down now, Blake. That was the backdrop of what we talked about yesterday, which is kind of this evolution of the Texas roster and what Sarkeesian has been able to do. And, like, they're very close to legitimately, if the talent weren't so young, we'd be talking about this roster really competing for a playoff spot and not blinking based on where it fits in the national landscape. Yesterday, somebody asked me what the number – so after looking at those numbers, someone said, hey, what did the 2005 national championship team have in terms of super blue chips? Okay, so Blake, put put the new graphic on the screen. That led me to going down the rabbit hole – of looking at the number of blue chips at every team since 2005. Because I couldn't just do one thing. I had to do 18 years worth of things. And what it does, it shows you under Matt Brown how steady and consistent the numbers were from 2005 through 2013. They were in double digits every year. You can see the, you can see the collapse. First year under Charlie, it drops second year under Charlie, like it drops bad. It stays there all the way through the Charlie strong years. You can see where Herman started to build it back up. You can see where Herman loses his job. And then you can see where Sarkeesian going into year three, there are more super blue chips on the roster right now with 15. than there were on the national championship team in 2005. 14. So Blake, you can bring that down. I think we can pop it back up there later, but I wanted to show everybody the numbers. Just how excited, given the content we're talking about this upcoming season, the roster is so young, but man, Alex, it's hard not to be excited about where this program is trending. The data points really tell a story about where the program was and where Sarkeesian on paper kind of has it now. And it only adds to the buildup for me, this season, what it should be, what's a, what suddenly feels like a disappointment or a disaster. There's just a lot of things to think about with the volume of talent that Sark has been able to add. Man, you can't, you can't, even log on to Twitter these days without seeing some infographic or some meme from Sports Nation or fan sided or PFF or anything like that that where Texas was voted among some council that they have or something like this about college football, about being the most dangerous team, you know, the team to look out for this year. I I I don't I'm not sure that Texas is going to be sneaking up on people the way that we would Maybe think. I think honestly, with us as people who watch this program so closely and who have come to um, have, have been humbled by by the way this team has underperformed, with relative to what we had expected in these in these previous years, I think that we are sometimes reticent or hesitant to 
you know, make those kinds of proclamations just from our side, because for one, it sounds like homerism. And for two, we've been burned by it before. And we follow the team so closely. Sometimes we get in this echo chamber and in this bubble and it's really hard to separate what's true from what, you know, feels like hype or feels like fluff or feels just like a result of being overexposed to these players and talking to ourselves through all these various scenarios. Right. One thing that just becomes very clear to me when you show that thing, is that when we were talking ourselves into these scenarios when Charlie Strong was here, or even when Herman was here, we we weren't talking ourselves into these scenarios based on the fact that there were actually really good super elite players on the roster. We, we just weren't. And I don't remember during that time when Charlie was here ever thinking to myself, man, this roster is terrible. I mean, it is terrible. I thought to myself sometimes that – Maybe it's not up to snuff as to where it should normally be, right? But I never thought to myself that this is legit terrible. This is really – these players are really, really bad. Did you think that, Catch? Like, was there ever a time when Charlie was there that you thought to yourself, man, Charlie's a good coach, but golly, these pl- like these players are just all so bad. They only I mean, play yeah, they were, they were not good teams. And the thing is, this is at the beginning of my awakening with recruiting data. This is me realizing, oh, you know what? Four stars, they're not all the same. And so, you know, and Char- even in, you know, Charlie recruits the number 11 ranked class in 2015. And I think it was 12, it was 11th or 12th or either 12th or 11th in back to back years in 2015 and 2016. There were only three super blue chips in both of those classes combined. And two of those never played a game for Texas. One of those um, was the offensive lineman, Patrick Hudson, who transfers from Baylor and health reasons just never was able to step on the field. And then the other one was um, Eric Fowler, the five-star out of Maynard, who Onward and I had a conversation about recently on one of our shows. I'm like, And the other one was Malik Jefferson, and that was like it. And but, so yeah. – like, I mean, the quarterback play was bad. I mean, when you look back at it, yeah, there were there were a lot of signs. The O-line play wasn't good. The quarterback play was atrocious. And they were, you know, not a lot of NFL players. And the, the NFL draft mm-hmm. would tell us not a whole lot on the roster. No, I mean, there, but that's not that's not entirely true. That's not all entirely true. Like, I never thought to myself that these players are just bad. Like Holton Hill wasn't bad. He, I mean, he plays in the NFL. Malik Jefferson, Chris Warren played in the in the NFL. Chris Boyd plays in the NFL. Chris Patrick Warren Bahe. played in NFL preseason. What? Chris Warren never played in an NFL game. Well, I mean, with the with the Raiders, he was on the fifty three for a little short. No, he got he got hurt in the final game of the preseason, and, and he had a great and- preseason. He, he, led the, he led. He led the preseason in rushing. He got hurt, um, and then then the next year came back, and he just nothing ever happened to him. It just faded out. I think okay. he might have been on like their IR for a year. Yeah. Chris Chris Boyd currently in the NFL. I'm just trying to think. Like Vahe, Deshaun Elliott currently in the, in the NFL. Charles Amenahue. Um, Charles Connor Williams. I mean, it's like it's not, not like these were super super. I just, I'm just, maybe I'm crazy. I didn't ever look at these teams. Like, that chart surprises me a little bit. I never looked at those teams and just said, like, wow. Like, these aren't good. 
from a recruiting standpoint, these aren't good players. And we know catch recruiting does matter for this kind of, for this kind of stuff. Like to me, when I looked at that, that visual representation, can, can you put that thing back up, Blake? Can you put that thing back up so I can see it? Like, it, it, like that is that is miserable. The 2015, 2016, 2017, all that to some degree, 2018. It's like that is a talk about a low watermark. And to to me to think that maybe during those years we thought that you know some of these players have come in, they've looked good, they've looked better than expected. These are good players that we could talk ourselves into maybe these teams being good. I mean, in 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 hindsight, thank. Thank you, Blake. I just I wanted to just point well, leave it up there for a second, real quick, because when when Alex is done, I want to make a point. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, like in 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 hindsight, of like, of course they weren't going to be good. Of course they weren't. It's just it's just wild. I mean, it's a very, um, it's a very revealing bit of uh, data you've put together there, catch. And I would imagine you've gotten some help from Blake with kind of the visual representation here. Because yes, Blake is very, because Blake is very good at that stuff. <laughs> But I, 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 I catch. I, I just, I just, I'm putting a a stamp that I want to make a point after you make your point. So I'm just. I was just going to say, if you look at the graphic, we were talking about this just before we went live. If you look at 2017, so Charlie's out, Herman's in. Texas has two super blue chips on the roster, and Alex says, "Well, who were the two? It was Malik Jefferson." and Gary Johnson, two players at the same position. And in 2017, Gary Johnson barely played because he was kind of the backup to Malik. Like by the end of the year, Alex, if you'll remember, they started to get him on the field a little bit more, but that was Mm -hmm. a team in 2017 with two, and they mostly just played with one for most of the year. You might actually have to give Tom Herman a little credit and say that one of the best pieces of coaching that's been seen on the 40 acres in a long time was that first year to get them bowl eligible to win the bowl game, you know, in retrospect, not terrible because yeah. he inherited a mess. Yeah. I was just, uh, look, look, man, I just, to me, it's, to me, it's very represent representative of, of where we are right now. And it gives me more confidence on top of the confidence that I already have, and maybe every maybe I'm just I'm trying to come to terms with the fact that I cover this team so closely. I watch these players so much. I tend to whether I like it or not, I tend to I mean, I I have to acknowledge my own biases. I tend to kind of try and see the best in them. You know what I mean? And in doing so, it can blind you a little bit to what the realities are. Like a graphic like that really, really shows you, you know, like the like what we just saw was the objective reality and whenever you put that together with just the narrative reality that you know that we that we put together as as the way like the way that the big 12 looks this year the quarterbacks that have left the key playmakers who have left like all the rest whereas texas is like everybody is now just ascending into the spots that should be their big spots before they move on it's um it's it's a lot to put together and as you said catch earlier it brings a whole new focus onto like what should the goals really be? This, like what should the goals really be this season? What constitutes success and what constitutes failure? So for me, I think the graphic is is it, it it's it doesn't tell the whole story. I think it tells only a portion of it, but I think there's something that's missing out on that graphic for me, which is yeah, maybe Texas didn't have a ton of super blue chippers. 
but we're, if you compare that Texas number to uh, other people in the Big 12, who was, that should be the comparison to, how many did TCU have? You know, how many does a Baylor have the year that they want, you know, won it? Like, you know, the two times, different times, you know, two times that TCU has been there, whether it's 2014 or whether it was 2022 last season. Like, maybe there's an OU thing in there where, you know, when they OU had their stretch of winning Big 12 championships, and maybe that it's something to that effect, right? Uh, and maybe OU had some more, but Iowa State, when they come out of nowhere and, and Matt Campbell is leading that team, those guys aren't full of the, you know, of this, of the super blue chip thing. So for me, I hear it and it makes sense when we're talking about Texas compared to other programs across the country. But I always feel like this is why I always kind of bring the conversation back because I feel like in Texas, it's always a comparison of where's our class ranked versus the Georgias and Alabamas of the world and so on and so forth. And that's great. But then when it comes to actually competing in the big 12 and trying to win a big 12 championship, we see this team get basically out coached by people who have, you know, quote unquote, less talented uh, guys on their roster. So for me, it makes sense, but it, 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 and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the numbers, but I also think there's another component, which is, Texas has still had more than enough that they should have they should have won more than one, you know, won a championship, a Big 12 championship since 2009. Like they should have been to more than one Big 12 championship game. And I don't think it's a, it's the, the blue chip prospect of it. I think there's been a coaching aspect that's been missing uh, more importantly. Well, Anwar, I think you're right, um, first off, but I think. The data, what the data tells us, and why that, why I'm, why we even have this conversation of super blue chips, is what the data tells us is that the remainder of the roster, the recruiting rankings that come with what's below that are inflated to get people to spend money to care about recruiting, but statistically speaking. The difference between a four-star and a three-star is pretty slim margins. Now, we hype it up and we talk about it in terms of recruiting uh, in ways I think the industry does. I certainly don't, and people get mad at me now because I've taken some of the fun out of recruiting by pointing out that you know a guy who's a national 250 guy is the same as a national 750 guy. But... You know, we put shiny rankings on kids and it makes guys, it makes fans think they're really important. The reality is the Iowa State roster and the Texas roster for some of those years, like 2017 is a good example. There really wasn't much of a difference between their rosters. The difference in, is that Texas has a, has a slight statistical advantage in terms of talent where these other schools, slight, slight, mere percentage points in terms of what they statistically develop into. The other schools had better developments, developmental programs that allowed them, you know, when Charlie, as bad as Charlie was at Texas, he was sensational at Louisville. He took three-star guys and developed them into NFL players at rates that other schools weren't developing five-star prospects as it in a lot of ways, what we saw Charlie do at Louisville 
nobody's ever replicated ever. I mean, trust me, I, I know the numbers. Like it's crazy how good he was at Louisville. He was a developing machine. What we've seen in Texas during the majority of that time frame, including in the early part of the decade on war, when there were still a lot of super blue chips on campus. They weren't developing the talent. It wasn't getting better once it got on campus. It was a thing that stayed inside the program for more than a decade. And it's the thing that has kept this program from getting over the hump. They haven't had great coaching. They haven't had great development. And so one of the things that we're still talking about with Sarkeesian going into this year is, is the coaching and the development at the level that Georgia and Alabama and the best programs in the country are at because the talent would indicate that if the development and the coaching is there, this team should be really, really good. If it's still lagging in that department, that's how you get Texas A&M going eight and four last year with the third best roster in college football. And they just look like a mess all season long. That's how that happens. So if you're better than Jimbo Fisher and his staff were a year ago, you're playing in major bowl games. If it lags behind, you can you can get what we saw from Texas during the 2010s and from AM a year ago. Yeah, but and you know, in the in this conversation, you've got to just be better than Sonny Dykes and his and his staff. The Sonny Dykes' roster wasn't nearly as far behind from a talent standpoint than a Texas or Oklahoma, as we all are programmed to believe. Well, they, it was I a think five it will be season. now. I, I mean, it will it be was, now, right? It was a five-win season that he that they had. So, I mean, you know, and, and there's Chris Kleiman at Kansas State. You know, I, I, would, I would imagine that over this, this time frame uh, that we're talking about, your super blue, blue chip time frame, Pass even go past time, whatever. If we compared it to the super blue chips on everybody else's roster in the Big 12, it would probably be, you know, a hundred times more than most majority of these programs, especially the ones that have had the success. The Baylors, who have come out of nowhere and had success, you know, twice. Whether they're developing their talent better. Yeah. So that that so that that's I'm, I'm that's what I'm saying. Like the number. It's it sounds it sounds good, but to me there's the, that component of yes that that's that sounds good, but Texas has had more blue chips than the teams that they've lost to year after year after year. So at some point, that coaching component, development component, that's the thing that's going to matter because Texas has always had talent, but well, more so. The so big question than is, do we else think they have it club. now? You said what? What happened? For the last decade, doesn't matter anymore. What matters is they have the fifth highest amount of super blue chips in the country, which is that means that the uh, the the raw talent on the roster is at the highest that it's been on campus in over a decade. Uh, real quick, Blake, put the graphic back up there. When you see the graphic, you'll see that started in Charlie Strong's first year in 2014. That's the first year they dipped under double digits. Uh, almost an entire eight years goes by. They never hit double digits again. 
Now they're in double digits. Now they're now they're at the level that they were when they were playing for national championships. It's young. You can take the graphic down now, Blake. The question is, do we think Steve Sarkeesian and the coaches that he currently has on campus, do we think they are at the level of coaching and at the level of developers that this doesn't end up in five years being a story of fool's gold, right? And in five years, we're doing a modcast, and it's like, remember back in 2023 when, when we thought Texas was finally back among the elite in terms of elite-level prospects on their roster? You know, the question isn't what happened in the last 10 years. Alex, I'll come to you on this. Do you believe that this coaching staff is at the level that – we're not going to be looking back at this as some bad cautionary tale in five years, fool's gold, that the winning is truly about to begin. Yeah. Well, I think so, but that doesn't mean I can't be wrong. You know, that doesn't mean like, because we haven't seen it from, we, I hate to say it. We haven't seen it from Sark yet. You know, we're, we're st- like, believe it or not, we're still betting on the come with this guy as an on-field coach. And that, that's the that's the fact of the matter. I'll put my chips on the fact that he's going to be good. We haven't seen it yet. He hasn't been good at Texas. like So, like, that's just true. He hasn't been good. He's been okay. He's been kind of bad once. He's been okay once. He hasn't been good. So, there's that. We're betting on the come with him. But the recruiting is there. You've seen what he's done at other places. And if you are to believe what people – I mean, and I talk to coaches, like, if you're to believe what people say about Sark and the way that he does work with quarterbacks and everything, if I'll, I'll tell you as somebody who analyzes this offensive line more closely than anybody who's not on the Texas football staff, what Coach Flood has done has been nothing short of unbelievable and just remarkable. It's like the development that we've seen along the offensive line has been – you can take case after case after case, and it's just um, – it's been objectively – outstanding so if you take those two things on offense clearly the two most important things offensive line quarterback you you have somebody that's basically renowned in the football world as being a quarterback guru and somebody who can you know dial things up schematically he's tied at the hip with the best offensive line coach i've ever seen in college football um i mean that's pretty you know, that's pretty hard to argue with offensively. I think on defense is probably some easier things to pick apart. But as far as the offense, man, from the, with, with, with those two pieces in place, I, I don't see any reason why we shouldn't be at least somewhat optimistic that there, you know, will be continue to be improvements on offense and on defense. I mean, I, I guess I do have – some worries in a couple spots, but I've talked about it before. I feel like there's strengths at every level of the defense as, as well. So um, as far as the coaching angle though, I mean, that's, that, that, that's my take. It's, it's, it starts with Sark himself and then also Kyle flood. Anwar, do you believe in this staff? I believe in the potential of this staff. So in the, I know potential is always a word that, that no football coach likes, right? But I believe in the potential of them because they're recruiting at, at a at a high rate. Um, you know, I they they seemingly um, 
I've seen improvements from certain guys at certain positions. You know, I, I you know, when I look at like last season, you know, and you know, like that the, the questions that we had at linebacker and what that was going to look like. And at the end of the year, um, it was kind of like, okay, this, there's, uh, yeah, actually a little bit on my end. So maybe I turn it down. Uh, but at the end of the year, felt pretty good about the linebacker position, right? Um, you know, there was a lot of questions, and and I don't think we've ever questioned them from a talent standpoint for the most part. Like I feel like I've questioned where the talent is or has been. I don't question that anymore. I don't really question recruiting, you know, at all. And so for me, it's the the final component. You know, which is, you know, Steve Sarkeesian started to build something at USC that he was never able to finish. It's it, it's almost like it's mirror right, image of it, right? It's trying to get it built at USC, have a number one recruiting class. Like, and it's almost like Steve Sarkeesian finally gets a chance to finish what we never got to see, you know, at USC. Like, this is it, right? This is it. It's almost mirror you know, image. And so now we'll, we get the chance to see, okay, what does this look like when you've got the number one recruit, recruiting class, you're the, you know, toast to the town and, you know, everyone wants to play for you, all that kind of stuff. That's what we can see coaching continuity, like all these kind of things. So that's why I said, you know, I, I, I believe in the potential of it, um, that everything is on the table, you know, but do it, you know, do we have to see it? Like, at the end of the day, I'm, you know, I'm kind of like it with Alex, you know, you, you, you want to see it a little bit before you, you just 100% just give the blind, you know, I'm co-signing on it. But I mean, so I believe in the potential of them. I think you both nailed it like perfectly. There's literally nothing else that can be added. I think y'all both summed up kind of where we are and it does, it actually leads us into a transition into like maybe the final thing that we'll talk about on the podcast today. And, and you know what? Hold that thought. There were have been a couple of super chats. Let's just knock those out. So I don't make the guys don't feel like we left them from behind. Um, Jordan says, ask Sark. I know you can't say it, but blink twice if Colin Simmons or Kobe Black. Or Silent That's so funny. I wish I'd come to it earlier. Uh, really good use of the super chat there. You got a great laugh out of Onward. Nice job. That is hilarious. We'll see if Onward does that while he's at the podium. Uh, and Buck Wild says, Strong did kick a lot of players off the team. How many were super blue chips? A couple. Uh, Kendall Sanders was one. Um, God, I'd have to go back and look at it. Kendall Sanders... I can't remember when Caleb – I think Caleb Jones happened just before. There were a couple. There weren't a ton that he kicked off, but there were a couple. What about um, – Alex, what about the guy you were asking uh, Strong about every single week, the offensive Desmond line? Desmond Harrison, he, he wasn't a super blue chip, was he? Okay. No. I was just, okay, I was curious. Yeah, he had, he, had, he had tools, though. Even the he NFL was very he toolsy. He was a starting left tackle for the Cleveland Browns for like four weeks, man. No, I know. Like, I mean, in the end, you were more right than you, you were vindicated. Wrong. You were vindicated. You were vindicated. Um, so when we look at this team, I want Alex, I'm gonna come to you with this question because Anwar and I did discuss this thing yesterday. I just think it warrants continued conversation. The Longhorns have more, almost as twice as many super blue chips as Oklahoma. Nobody else from the Big 12 
is on the list, which is the point that on war will constantly bring up, like, look how competitive these things are. And you're telling me there's a big talent advantage. Um, it's bad if Texas, look, fill, fill in the blank. Texas doesn't win the big 12 in 2023. And you would use the following word to describe what that means. Um, deflating, I think maybe just very deflating. I'm not sure that is disaster too much. Maybe, Apocalypse, but like, I mean, I think it's, it's too a D much. word of some variety. They got to win, man. It's, it's they're in the spot right now where they got to win. You can just you can close your eyes and you can just look down the rosters of these other teams. You know, you could talk about the Kansas State. You know, they lose just they they so many guys that you fear, right? They lose like so many of these guys that you like. Deuce Vaughn is can't for Kansas State. Deuce Vaughn is gone. King Felix is gone. He was a first round pick to the Kansas City Chiefs. You look at TCU. Quentin Johnson was a major problem. Kendra Miller, major problem. Steve Avila, major problem. You know, the corner, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. And the safety, um, The uh, you look at uh, Iowa State, you know, you have now Xavier Hutchinson gone. Do you have, I mean, and, I, and, I'm, and, I, I'm, and I'm forgetting guys. I'm just, I'm thinking about all the players that you kind of strike fear into your hearts when you look at these other teams, right? And so many of them are gone. A lot of these quarterbacks are gone. Duggan's gone from TCU. Like Texas is in a spot where it should be ascending. Texas is in a spot where a lot of these teams are going to have to figure out what they're doing, rebrand themselves, create new identities. Texas is in the spot right now where everything that Steve Sarkeesian has worked for is now coming into fruition. Things have fallen into place. And they've fallen into place at the exact time in the final year of this inferior conference to one that they're going to be moving into and having to really show their wares in at 2024 in the SEC, right? It's you can't write up a better script for this thing to for this to be the year where they finally get over the hump, give themselves some momentum going into the next season. Get like, doesn't that seem like the natural order of things? If the world worked in the natural order of things, that's how things would go. So if if that were to not happen, I would say that it felt I mean honestly it would, it would feel unnatural. It would feel deflating. It would feel like something and when something feels unnatural and weird it, that like those are the like if something feels unnatural in your and weird in your body or something like that. What do you what do you do? You 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 have to investigate it, right? You don't just let it fester. Like you, you need to like investigate it, bring people in, talk about it, say like, "Well, everything was just right." Why did something un unnatural happen here? Why did the thing that, you know, was the most likely outcome, you know, is say like in your body, just say like my continued health or whatever. Why did that, why, why did something get thrown off here? What, like what messed up that equal, that equilibrium? It would take investigation. It would take a lot of soul searching from a guy like Sark to say like, what happened? Like what happened? It was all right. Like I had it right there. What, 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 what happened? I think it would take a lot of investigation. So, I mean, un unnerving, unnatural, um, deflating. Uh, those would be the words that I would use. Onward, Des. Me, oh, I put, hold on, Des is in the chat, trying by every means he possibly can to tell everybody to put their foot on the brake. 
He's got to take the part of yeah. Jason. He's, <laughs> he's filling in for Jason. On. <laughs> hey, hey. Can hey, I give you my answer? Breaks, tap the brakes. I like this team as much as you guys, but come on. Listen. Yes, we may not agree, but we do <laughs> see you. Go ahead, Anwar. What, what I, I agree with everything Alex said, and I just will add to it. I, I think it would be the most disappointing season since the 2019 season. And if you think about the feelings and the emotions after that 2018 Sugar Bowl where everybody thought they had it, right? They thought they had the coach, which was Tom Herman, because it's all coming together. They thought they had the recruiting class. I know if it, if people have short memories around here. Tom Herman had two top five recruiting classes, right? So you had the recruiting class, you had the coach, and then people thought they had the quarterback. Sam Ellinger was supposed to be the the next thing since, you know, Colt McCoy, right? And he was going to be the next thing, that great thing. And so the expectations heading into that 2019 season was that this program is about to take off because all the components were in place. The, the, the foundation had been laid. The cake was ready to be taken out the oven. And then that ends up being an eight-win season. And then at that point... It was deflating at that point because you thought it was here. It was going to happen. I, that's why I say I think the emotions and the letdown would be similar because from the letdown perspective, Tom Herman really never recovered, you know, after that. Like at that at that point, the recruiting started to kind of taper off. The, the, the belief in him started to taper off. The people who praised him for being Mensa and so smart. We're now shitting on Mensa and making fun of that. The binder was no longer a cool thing to talk about, right? He's now short. all of a sudden, every time he said something about the punter, the kicker, he was condescending. Yeah. Like everyone who thought he was cool when he was condescending with the media, when now he's an arrogant prick who's throwing middle fingers. Like everything they excused at the beginning was no longer excused. That would be, I think, the end result. Like any excuse that people made for Sark in the beginning, that's when it turns in and on you if you don't reach those that, that kind of level of expectations. Um, Omar, it's like they say, it's kind of I'm not sure it's a perfect analogy, but it's like they say, like whenever you get whenever you get married and like you're um you're kind of like in love and you're in the honeymoon phase and there are little things like that the other person has that you think are little cute, like peccadillos that are just you know quirky parts of their personality and stuff like that. And the minute the honeymoon phase ends mm -hmm. and you get in a little bit of start getting in some fights and stuff like that, man, those little quirky things that they do just start bugging the hell out of you. Right. <laughs> you don't see them as the cute little quirky things anymore, man. Those yeah. are the things that drive you crazy. It's, it's kind of that, that that's, it feels like that's the way that the fan base kind of, kind of turned on, on Herman. Oh. Well, yeah, and we saw with we saw with Charlie, right? Every the Florida five, everyone thought it was great. Look at Charlie; he's going into Florida, getting those guys. And at the end, they're like, well, "That was a that was a waste." Like everyone thought, kick those guys off the team. That's really good, Charlie. Go ahead and and do that thing. And by the end of the day, like you know, he was you know the Michael Scott of coaching. So <laughs> you know, so it it happens, you know. And and I think that would be the letdown and disappointment. And again, I'm just saying, going in 2019. Expectations were high. LSU was in week two. We didn't know LSU was going to be one of the best teams in in all of whatever. Now we look back and say, you know, there's a week two there. It that th that letdown I think would be similar to the 2019 feelings. Anwar, the interesting thing about that is it's a it's a fantastic warning sign 
right? So for all the the down the biggest downside to a, a disappointing season this year is that the last time things set up almost exactly the same and it didn't happen. The, the program couldn't hold the rope, right? I mean, Tom Herman would probably tell you what I needed to happen was for the fan base to like my, my super blue chip numbers were climbing and they were like, you know, lost in what Sark is doing is that Herman had elevated the program out of the Charlie wilderness. I mean, in his final year, he's, he's sitting at like nine super blue chips and they're like one big recruiting year away from being able to like jump up a level. It didn't happen. The fans got disgruntled and I'm not saying they weren't rightful to do so. The pandemic happens. Eyes of Texas happens. It's over. Right. And so enter Sark, but I'm sure Tom Herman in his heart of heart believes he was close, closer than people knew. And they had the one, they had that 2019 season. And you're right, people were so jacked that the fall down from that, the the high was so high that when they sobered up, it was a bad, bad headaches. And that's what Sark has to make sure doesn't happen this year, right? I mean, it, it can't be what that 2019 season ended up turning out to be. And it's funny, yesterday, Alex, I look, in a year from now, Texas is going to probably not only have a top five super blue chip roster in America, which it already does, but they're going to be older. Right? Those freshmen, sophomores are going to be sophomores and juniors. A lot of those guys go pro after three years. So you have to take advantage of them when they're sophomores and juniors. That's next year. Mm-hmm. Starting next year, if you have a top five roster and you don't make the top 12 in the playoff, you've had a bad year, right? Like it's one thing to not make the top four with a top five roster, but starting next year, 2024, top 12, you've, 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 you've failed. Are you talking 2024? Yes. Yeah. When it'll expand to 12 teams making the playoffs. Yeah. Right. And do you know what the narrative becomes then? You're in the SEC. You're a blue blood. You have all the all the resources in the world. You have that. You have the recruits. You have everything, and you don't live up to the hype, and you can never get there. It becomes a pre Kirby Smart Georgia situation, and people start thinking about Texas like that. But the question I wanted to ask you, where I was leading with all of that, is this: Texas does have a top five roster this year on paper, right? So. It's very easy to define next year what the bare minimum should be. What's the bare minimum this year? Next year being 2024? 2024, the bare minimum will be finish in the top 12 and make the playoff, or it was not a good year. Period. Uh, yeah. I mean, I say with, the, I mean, what you do, what you, I do, I mean, the bare, the bare minimum for me, bare minimum. Bare minimum, get to the Big 12 championship game. We know that in any given game, the ball can bounce funny. Things can, you know, things can happen. 
I mean, I would say the bare minimum is to win that thing, right? To take care of everything that you can control, right? To take care of everything that you can control. I think it's hard to make that the bare minimum, right? I say to take care of everything that you can control to get to the ultimate goal that you need to proceed on to the even bigger goal, right? The bigger goal being the college football playoff. Um, I think at minimum, you got to get there. I think it's pretty close to saying minimum, you, you got to win. And then we all know if you, I mean, if you do get to the college, I think if you got to the college football playoff at the, at the, at the, um, at the number of teams that it is for the 2023, I think once you got there, it's kind of like you're playing with house money a little bit. Everyone knows any team can meet up with so any once team. once you get to the top four, you're playing with – it's a fast – I'm sorry, I'm just laughing because it's such a – You're not. I'm not saying that you're wrong, Alex. It's just kind of absurd to hear us say it out loud when we just haven't seen this program anywhere near that. Well, but, but I mean, okay, all right. So is it, do you think it's less absurd to say once you get to the big 12 championship, you're playing with house money? What do you think Anwar? I think in starting in 2024, uh, a conference title is meaningless. I don't think, yeah. I think, I think it holds as much, it, it, you know, Alex, I said this with, with catch the other day, I think conference titles, Alex go the way of being winning your division in the NFL. No one cares who won the AFC South two years ago. Like, no one's going to care about who won the AFC North three years ago. Like, those are cool banners to have, like, you know, but to say, but who cares who won, like, the, you know, the NFC East four years ago? Like, it just becomes like, what do you do in the playoffs when it matters? To me, I think that becomes your ultimate judge. And I think the conference title, now, maybe you, maybe, one begots another, right? So maybe by going to the conference title, you're you already go to the playoffs potentially. That's a that's a potential thing. But being a nine win team and going to the conference title game probably doesn't get you in the playoffs. So more than likely, uh, to me, the the bare minimum of success to me, I don't care about the banners, right? I remember one time I was covering Detroit Lions and they won their conference and they hung a banner. It was like one of the most embarrassing things that I've seen a uh, an organization do. And I understood Detroit needed something. So division titles, man, come on. It was, it was, but it was like a 2011, 2002. But here's the thing: Jim Swartz had said like the year before that we'll never celebrate. Uh, you know, division titles around here because that's not what I'm here for. And the next year, <laughs> they dug a title. So of course, I had to ask him about it. He's like, well, things change. So uh, I, that's how I just think. I, I just think, I just, I just, I just think, that's why I think, Alex, it, it won't mean anything when it's all said and done. Because who, if you, if you win your conference title in 2024, and then the wild card team goes ahead and makes it to the final four. You're literally just holding this empty trophy that no one cares about. No, well, no, but I mean, you did every, you did what you could, right? You, you, you won the big 12, you conquered your division. It's not like, and that's the kind of thing that in, I, 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 I agree with you on war that nobody cares NFC East three years ago. Right. Nobody, nobody cares. Right. Um, Anwar, I just had an epiphany. But, but oh, can ahead. I, sorry. can I just say this, this, this one thing? In recruiting, you got to use everything that you can. And with the momentum of the team and with the psyche of the team, you got to use everything you can. It just feels like to me, specific to 2023, right? Specific to 2023, the last year in the Big 12, we 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 ran the conference. 
we got to the Big 12 championship. Hopefully we won the Big 12 championship, right? If if you're Texas, right? And and you want that narrative formed coming into you know, coming into the spring, coming into the next year of recruiting, saying like, look, we're on the right trajectory going into the SEC. I, I think that the narrative doesn't mean much to the average um fan outside of the biggest super fans, right? I, th- I think it, it I, I think it would matter to this. So to, to a lot of people watching this show right now, I think it would matter to, to win the big 12 in your last year in it. I think it would be cool. Um, well, and I think the you fan in the chat stoopsified, he does make a fair point. Yeah. That's a great point from stoopsified. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it, it, it would feel good to leave your mark on the, it would feel good to leave your mark on the conference in the, in the last year. It would also provide an extra narrative in recruiting to, to show that the program is on the white, is, is on the right trajectory. Catch, how, how much, how badly do you think the Big 12 doesn't want Texas to go oh. out on a high note this season? I mean, you know, oh, and OU for that matter, like, yeah, you either know, one. They, both of them. Both of them. Keep an eye on those officials, man. O, OU and Texas are going to have to band together as some sort of oversight committee to watch these officials, dog. It's like, it's <laughs> so, Omar, i got to give you my epiphany, okay? And then we'll, we'll do party shots and get the hell on out of here. You made a great point that I hadn't really thought about until you made it, and you kind of went right past it once you made the point. But it is funny that – the 2023 Longhorns and its head coach are going to be judged by something in 2023 that will never matter again starting as soon as 2024. So if they don't win the conference title, oh, it was a disappointment. They didn't do it again, right? There's this, there will be this feeling that it was a major disappointment. That was the bar. It's been the bar for so long. Next year, the bar changes. The playoff goes to 12. The only thing that will start to matter is not whether you won your conference, but did you make the playoff? Why shouldn't we unofficially think of 2023 as like the dry run, the free, the trial, the rehearsal? Would you have made the top 12? Season? Would you yeah. have made the top 12? Yes. If this season ends... And forget about conference championships for a second. If this season ends and Texas is in the top 12, not after the bowls, after the conference championship games, because it will be the article that everybody writes, right? Trust me, in December when the final rankings come out, there will be a slew of articles that are like, these are the playoff matchups we would have. Oh, they'll run simulations saying who who oh. won via the computer. Yeah. yeah. And then we'll get us hyped up for next year. Yeah. We're going to be like, holy shit, that sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. If Texas finishes the regular season after the Big 12 championship game, 11th. Maybe that's a successful year because starting next year, it will be absolutely okay. Absolutely. Yeah, but it's not against a Big 12 schedule. True, but the bottom line is the bottom line. Yeah. Because you're right, Catch. If they if it if they if they don't go to Big 12 championship game, right? But they finish their eight or ten, 
then you can't really say coach he Sarks is a hot seat going into year the next year four because you would say no he's right where he need to be heading into year four he always has got to do is maintain it. I think we look at the same rule. It's a very there's a not a, an official finish line right, but next year if you have a top five roster it's a disappointment if you don't finish in the top twelve. We need to be using I think as I talk this out, the same standard. It's a trial run. If they do way better, fantastic, right? They finish inside the top eight, top six, top four, fantastic. But I think the minimum bar needs to be 12. Because then you're able to say, we would have made in recruiting going into next year's cycle, you would be able to say, we would have been in the playoffs. And that's what we're aiming for now. And I think that's what matters. So I think I have I will now look at whether or not this season is a success unofficially if they finish 12th or better in the final. You're not going to discount it all for the schedule because there's no Georgia on the schedule. There's no, like, there's none bottom of this. line, Alex, it's a bottom line business. And this is as easy as, as it's going to get. So – if the, say they finish 18th and then they're going to face nope. another schedule, it really places some real question marks. I think going I into 2020, I, I, I just it's just for me. I would just I, I do some back of the napkin math and just schedule just that thing to say you know finishing 12th in the big you know finishing 12th in the SEC is more like finish with an SEC schedule is more like finishing eighth or something with the you big 12 your schedule. Your point is not invalid. Yeah. I'm just saying all we have is what we have to work with and. Yeah. None of the teams in the in the competing for the top twelve, other than SEC teams, will be playing an SEC schedule. It is just kind of what it is. And quite frankly, it's the step that Texas needs to take. Um, finishing in the top twelve, I think, w- would be a sign of program progress, which is ultimately what we're talking about more than anything else. All right, guys, you know what? Does anybody anybody got a party shot? Onward, did you have a party shot? Yeah, I do. Give it to us. It's but it it's a shot that very few of you guys will care about. But as a as a, a but it means something to me. So I, I acknowledged I might lose some. But I as you as UCF gets ready for Big Twelve Media Days this week as a Florida guy and a USF grad. Let me say, well played, USF. Because you guys have screwed the pooch so much. You you fail, fall, they fell behind and never got an on-campus stadium, even though everyone told you how important this was. But they, st- they always wanted to play at Raymond James Stadium and never raised the funds. Meanwhile, UCF went out. They were able to get not only a nice stadium, but a beautiful indoor facility uh, and work with, with that way. The USF makes nothing but bad coaching hires throughout their tenure, just one bad coach after another. And now uh, USF just announced, catch, that they're going to build an on-campus stadium in 2026. Yay! (laughs) And then, meanwhile, UCF is going into the damn Big 12. And I'm like, well-played leaders of USF. When you had an opportunity to build up this program and could potentially be where UCF is right now, 
you screwed the pooch in every single area so bad that you have now officially an afterthought that nobody cares about. And you've watched UCF rise from the ashes and go past you and surpass you. And now you're an afterthought in the state of Florida as relates to recruiting. Congratulations. You played yourself. And UCF, props to you. You've done everything the right way. Boo to you, USF, because you've done everything the wrong way. That was the most Dunlap. I mean, he didn't get like really. There wasn't smoke coming out of his ears, Alex. But but it, was, but, it, but 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 just uh, but just an impassioned rant, rant about somebody that no about something that no one else gives a shit about. No one cares about. <laughs> no, I, I there was an, I had an appreciation for it, and you know the only thing missing was that he just didn't completely lose it. But boy, I could tell. There's a if if Anwar were three drinks in. And oh. he just starts that spiel all over again. Yeah. Oh, I bet it's, I bet it's, it's good. It's, 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 it's there's it a lot more curse pause. words. There's a lot more curse words. <laughs> there's a lot more everything. Because I remember there was a time I, that USF was a number two team in the country on the gym eleven. Like there was a time that that was like supposed to be a program that was on the rise, and all they did was just screw it up. Just screw it up. And, and USF, UCF leaves them in the dust. Leaves them in the dust. My program is an afterthought. They're trash. <laughs> Paul I, says you're hurt. If, if it didn't take me 15 <laughs> years to pay to pay that student loan debt off, I would fucking just destroy my, degree, my whole diploma that's hanging my wall. Now we've reached borderline Alex territory. Like, yes, yeah, so yeah, there was, just, we didn't realize there was more, Alex. Like there's, <laughs> he had a PS. Uh, Alex, you have a, a parting shot. Yeah, it's not going to be. Not, it's not going to be a rant like on wars. Um, but mine is um, my just getting back yesterday and heard about the news about 1049 the horn about I guess they're going under. Catch you probably know more about than, that than I do. I, I've actually learned about it from you tweeting about it on uh on on twitter um <laughs> thanks but let, i'll just i'll say this man um i don't know say i get i think fans of every program they'll say what they will about their local sports personalities and stuff like that i personally thought it it was cool that texas had a local station in austin that was um you know local and and they you know centered around the Longhorns and had all the Longhorn content and a lot of people adjacent to the um, Longhorn media space and reporters and stuff like that. Just talking about the team, giving, giving insights that you would, um, you would, you know, not get from the national stations and stuff. And just from a personal perspective, I just like to say to Aaron Hogan, who was the, I guess, is, was he still the program director over there? I don't even know. He's the man, manager of the station. Um, you know, say what you will about the guy. He he did, along with Catch to some degree, and a guy named Bo Edge to some degree. They gave me my start in radio, which is a big part in my career now. You know, my first show was on 1049. Back then, it was ESPN Austin. It wasn't even the Horn yet. Um, after my first year doing my show, Roster Watch, it got syndicated down to ESPN San Antonio, and I think the one up in um, up in Waco to where we were all up and down the I-35 corridor before we got picked up by. Sirius XM fantasy sports radio where I still am to this day after 12 years, but I, none of that would have happened without E Hogan catch 
Bo Edge to a certain degree, although Bo Edge was kind of getting paid out of this deal. So I, I can't thank old <laughs> I can't thank old Bo the same way I could uh, catch an E Hogan who were doing it out of the goodness of their heart. But um it just I, I just wanted to say, man, the uh the group there at 1049, I know that they probably had some issues. I know that the signal always sucked. Um <laughs> there's a million different things you can probably say about it, but um, you know, I I, I felt on I felt like on because I'd known for a while, it felt like things were kind of going weird around that station. There was a stuff where they went off the air back in March or April for a few days. And you felt like there was something up, you know, and I care a lot about some of the guys over there. I got, I mean, I love Chad and um, just feel bad for, you know, if those guys, hopefully they you know, land on their feet and everything like that. But I do feel grateful for that station and the start that they gave me in radio and the fact that I'm still doing it now for, as a, you know, as really a big, big part of my job. I, I have, I have them and, to some degree, catch who was there at the time to thank. So, you know, RIP to the horn, man. And I wish everybody there nothing but the best. couple of things. I'm going to use my parting shot to get the super chats that we haven't hit. I want to make sure they, they get their due. Uh, for the record, <clears throat> there's been no official announcement from the radio station <laughs> about its fate. Uh, oh, okay. My bad. Yeah. I've just seen it from you. I've seen it, I've seen it from you. I've seen it from Trey Elling. I've seen it from so, a, yeah. So I saw it on Orange Bloods. I saw Trey Elling's post on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I went to the Horn official Twitter page. Twitter, and they have all these retweets of various hosts that are saying, "It's my last day. You're going to find me." <laughs> I mean, what am I, I, mean, what, what am so I supposed to? Find? I saw those things, Alex, and thought the word was out. I tweeted about it. Apparently, I alerted a lot of the world that had not seen those retweets and I had not seen Trey Ellen's tweet. And so I became the guy yesterday that told the world what was happening before the station had told the world what was happening. So I, I felt bad because I put some people in some uncomfortable positions yesterday. Unbeknownst to me, like, Maybe get in control of your station Twitter page. <laughs> yeah, man, and listen, and, and listen, yeah, I mean, if to the horn guys, if any of you guys are listening, if you guys aren't going under, great, man, I'm, I'm, I'm glad, but it all stays the same, man. I definitely thank E. Hogan. I think Chad's great, you know, all the rest of it. Like, everything still stands for sure. My understanding catch, is that an announcement will come at some point. By the way, Catch, nothing is more OB than – and nothing reflects you and I, our lives, that everybody else does it. And the moment we do it, we're the only one that's held accountable. And everyone ignores the other tweets and everything else from someone else. It just, it's just I so... hadn't even realized what I'd done. A, a guy that I used to work with at the Horn and buddy of mine, Mark Honig, uh, sent me a text and was like, nice job, your tweet. Man, I got like 40 calls today. Like my entire day was interrupted. And it was at that moment that I was like, well, why would my tweet have? Oh, no. <laughs> kind of a, it was, you know, I've been, I, we had a show yesterday on why it wasn't like my whole day was focused on that. And then, uh, yeah, then it turns out that I let the cat out of the bag, uh, maybe more so than anybody else did. Uh, and those are the breaks. Uh, real quick, pen posts. Boy, we really took you guys behind the curtain on that one. Uh, Jordan was back-to-back. -back. So, Jordan, I'm glad that I uh, saved my, my, my parting shot for you. 100% chance there's going to be some questionable officiating in the Texas and OU games. 
and they're oddly going to go one way. Yeah. I'm with you, Jordan. I, yes. Yep. We, uh, and then he went on to say, I would just like to point out that TCU pulled off what, oh, you couldn't in their first try win a playoff game. All right. Nice little oh, shit wow. there. Wow. At okay. the end. Wow. Just go ahead. Just that 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 was a punching a stray, but sure. Oh, you. By the way, Alex, I pointed reason. out Michigan isn't Michigan isn't on the super blue chip list. So like Harbaugh is just a freak of a coach because his roster is way behind everybody else. But it partly explains why TCU was able to beat Michigan. Their rosters are really really similar, uh, and and you wouldn't necessarily know it because of the brand, but. It's Great coaching. Yeah. <laughs> he's, Wild. he's not in the top 15 in America for super blue chips. Uh, and yet nobody would probably guess that. All right, guys, look, a lot of fun. Uh, I tried to keep us under an hour and like the conversation was just too good. Like the channel, uh, subscribe to the channel, like this video, get notifications, check out our new sponsor, Mojo Insurance, go to the website, mojoinsurance.agency. Let them help you find the cheapest available insurance so you're saving money, you're paying less. They've got a special orange blood section on the website. It's super easy for OB members. Um, That's my QR. Shout out to Mojo for their first day as the new sponsor of the Modcast. Jason will be back next week. Guys, great job. We'll see you guys tomorrow. There could be breaking news on the recruiting front and we've got drunk uncle tomorrow night from big from dallas from the metroplex yeah baby from the site of big 12 media days you guys have a great rest of the day we'll talk to you soon